0: to two moms on the couch. Dana is a psychotherapist and Amy's married to one. Together we discuss the dilemmas of having ambitions and children at the same time. At the end of this show, you're gonna have three useful tips to help you deal with the topic at hand, which today is saying goodbye to your kid while they're still at home. Separation. Hi, Amy. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. Today's Halloween. Oh, yes, right. Did you not know? I forgot. Are your kids dressing up? Do do they still do
1: that? My daughter did. She was um, one of the Spice Girls, actually, this morning. And then my son is doing some kind of half-assed costume tonight just so that he could go trick-or-treating.
0: My daughter's half-assing, too, um, one of them. She's wearing a pink wig and... Do you, did you watch that show, Lazy Town, with yes, your kids? Yeah, yes. she's being the la- She had good makeup and some pink pants. It was cute. Oh, yes. Yeah.
1: yeah, I haven't thought about that show in a long time.
0: Today is the first day I've wanted to dress up for Halloween in that I can remember. I can't remember ever wanting to dress up, but when I was watching A Star is Born... There was this moment where Lady Gaga walked out and I was like, that's my Halloween costume. That is what I'm going to be. I want to be that person. And it was such a weird feeling because I've never had it before. And I wondered, is this what boys feel like when they see Superman or Spider-Man or Batman or something where they're like, that's who I want to be. And I'm excited to dress up like that.
1: That could very well be. I don't know what prompts people. I never liked
0: dressing up, actually. Me neither, but I have spent already a lot of money, time, and I'm still going to be spending more money and time on this before the day is done. Yes. Anyway, yes. okay, separation. You're you're the pro. Thank you
1: for saying that I'm the pro. So I was actually, I was thinking the other day about my most recent separation de jour. <laughs> you know that my, my daughter applied to school early decision. You did and, mention it. Yes, I have mentioned it obsessively. And so um, a couple of weeks ago, she came home, she went with my husband to go see a school or to go see this school to just make sure that this is where she wanted to be. And um, she came home, she was so excited, so jazzed. My husband was completely welled up and so excited for her because he kept saying, if you saw her there, she was so excited into it. That is like the dream. The dream, right? Yeah. Any mother would be dreamstruck. Well, you're supposed to be. Yes. And so (laughs) I had to feign enthusiasm, which I'm sure she saw right through. And I felt like tears welling up, not because I was so excited for her, because I realized, oh my God, she's actually going. This is probably where she is going to go. She's leaving me. I felt like, overcome with grief. It oh. was so sad for me. And I felt so guilty, but I just, I could not believe that she actually is going to, she's going to do this to me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I and also, I mean, I, I don't like everybody's kids, but your kids are incredibly delightful. I can imagine that having your particular daughter leaving would, would be awful. I mean, just to... to just to put the knife in. Yeah, <laughs> Twist pretty, it a little cute. bit. No, like I that. appreciate yeah.
1: it though, because she is she's just a cute, fun, adorable. She's fun to be around. And not that we hang out so much together, but there's so much fun banter that goes on in our house and she's a fun energy and she's clever and And kind. She is kind. Yeah, thank God.
0: Ugh,
1: yeah. That's it's, rough. Yeah, it's really and I was and I didn't think for some reason that I was going to be so grief stricken when I hear other people talking about their kids going away. If anything, I'm even a little bit judgmental. I think, oh, you're probably too reliant on them. Yeah. Or, for like, your needs. Yes. Yes. Yeah.
0: I, I have a friend who, who recently sent her child to college and it was about 14, seven paragraph Facebook posts about her process of letting go. And watching her child become an adult, and I was just kind of like, dude, get, come get on. over it. I know. I, I could imagine, too, because of your line of work as a therapist, that you would know what's up ahead intellectually. Yes. And so when it actually hits you emotionally, you're like, whoa, I thought I was immune to this because I knew it was yes. coming. yep. And
1: it's, it's happened in every stage of development, I think. I had even written my dissertation on working motherhood. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. And I was pregnant while I was writing it. Huh. And I thought, oh, so I'll be prepared. And in the meantime, every time I complain about it, my husband's always like, didn't you write a dissertation about this? <laughs> and I feel like it's, it's hard no matter what. If you're human, it's hard. And... Everybody goes through their own version of it. And I guess certain things have struck me. Now, every time I see her do anything, she's making avocado toast in the morning. And I think, that might be one of the last times I see her make avocado toast. (laughs) It's so (laughs) pathetic.
0: Oh, my gosh. Well, I, I also can imagine that it's hard because as we were talking about this topic, you know, you're, you've got one daughter who's two years ahead of my daughter, my oldest in school. So you're ahead in the milestones, but even though we're quote behind, we still have these miniature separations all the time as parents. And we've discussed this. I mean, you're constantly letting go. And, you know, with my youngest one, it's like, let go and then grab her back in again. Mm -hmm. My oldest, the other night, we had a funny separation experience with her. And I'm a little nervous to talk about this because... I think that if you don't live in New York City and don't understand how safe the city actually is Mm -hmm. for teenagers, Mm -hmm. then you're going to be incredibly judgy of this Mm -hmm. story. But my daughter was going to go to this party of a girl that she knows through a friend through her cousin and social media, and one of our friends knew the father of the girl hosting this party and so we were going to take her to the party in Brooklyn and she was going to meet a friend there and it was going to be okay and we kept trying to figure out are the parents going to be home or not Mm -hmm. but I I felt confident enough that my daughter that it was going to be okay even if they weren't home and she's got a phone and she could take an Uber home and Mm -hmm. she could take the subway home and she can call us and we can come get her you know there's a lot of safeguards in place we're tracking her location Uh and she knows it it's consensual Mm -hmm. so we go to drop her off at this party which we think is at this friend's apartment it's at a warehouse it's a warehouse party and there's all these kids dressed in you know per Halloween, you're uh-huh. the slutty version of whatever, yes. and they're the slutty version of <laughs> slutty girls. You Did know, you they're see not
1: pretty, pretty not
0: mean not girls. Pretty, mean girls, yes, of course, of right. course. I can be slutty corn. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, so they were. I mean, I don't even know what they were. They were mm-hmm. just they. They skipped the noun that comes after slutty <laughs> as the modifier. <laughs> Not that I'm slut-shaming. I was real proud of all these girls. But anyway, so (laughs) we hid around the corner in our Prius (laughs) until my daughter's friend came. And we were like, do you want us to lurk, you know, like a few blocks away for 20 minutes just to make sure that it's cool when you go inside? It was totally intimidating. I mean, Daniel and I were saying I would be intimidated to walk into that party no matter how you know, I was dressed or anything. Yeah. Just a bunch of mean teenage girls who are yeah. beautiful, yikes. So we we drive away and I think, okay, I've gotta let her go. I've gotta let her go. I can't be on her. I'm not gonna text her right away. I waited about a half an hour and finally texted, How is it? And she texted back, The cops came before we got in <laughs> And then where'd she go? So she, she was going to spend the night at the friend's house anyway. So she said, we're walking along a well-lit street right now to errands, uh, And uh, uh, off they went uh, and had a nice so sleepover. Oh, that's so funny. I was so relieved.
1: You, yeah, but you got the points for letting her go. That's, I know. Thanks, it, coppers. Yes. That
0: is so funny. <laughs> that is so funny. But, you know, there is that thing. Do I let her go in or do I hover? My parents definitely would have erred on the side of not letting me go. And then when I did finally go to college, it was so much of a struggle for me to figure out who am I without them telling me who I am. Yes. I didn't know that you had that struggle. Mm.
1: I just assumed because I met you in adulthood, I just assumed you always knew who you were.
0: Maybe more of who I was, but definitely not what to wear. Oh yeah! (laughs) Like I went through some crazy iterations on the way to to developing my personal style. style, Yes, yes. Which is still a debatable proposition. That is so funny.
1: That is really funny, and I think that that is such a big part of separation too, and I write about it a lot in my book as well that so much of separating from your kids has to do with your own separation process from your own parents. And because it's not linear, in some way, we're still kind of separating from our parents, even though we don't live with them, and we may not talk to them as often, or they may not even be alive. I think that they live within us. And Mm -hmm. so there's always kind of this battle with our internal mother's voice that's you're really going to wear that? Is that a good idea? Not that my mother speaks that way, of course. But, of course. Um, and so I think that also, while you're trying to separate from your own kids, you have to in some way reference what your experience with your own parents had been. Your mother had been really uh, vigilant and maybe even hyper-controlling. So you're very self-conscious about not being too controlling. It's I felt like my mom was controlling in many ways, not in that kind of way, but in other ways about how I should be or what I should be. And so I'm, I'm ridiculously conscious, I think, of allowing my children to sort of be
0: whoever it is that they're expressing themselves to be. I am too. That's why I have a daughter who's gone through a shaved head phase, a blue hair mm. phase, a blonde mm. phase. And now I'm kind of shocked. She says, I think I'm going to grow it out. And I'm like, but you look mm. so cute with short hair. Uh, and, you know, but uh, she, when she was in elementary school, she was the only girl, the only girl who had short hair. Huh. Because, you know, we live on the Upper East Side. <laughs> right. I know. That, that went over really well. But what did
1: kids, how did kids respond to it?
0: Uh, there were a couple kids who were pretty mean about it. Mm. And there was one boy who who said some mean stuff. in her Looking back on that school, her memories are not fond. I think it was, for lack of a better way of saying it, so hyper-gender normative yeah. that she felt like her expression, which you know before was wearing a soccer shirt and track pants, mm-hmm. was really frowned upon because it was a lot of girls wearing shirts that say princess and mm-hmm. sparkle letters. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, she... And kids noticed and said things, and so she felt like she really couldn't be her full self Mm -hmm. there. And so she reflects back on the whole place, not with a lot of fondness, even though I think she had a great educational experience there. Yes, yes. But she
1: feels more free now to Mm -hmm. express
0: herself. Yeah, her school currently, their motto is, where it's okay to color outside the lines
1: Ah. or something like that.
0: So, Ah. yeah, Uh it's a good fit.
1: Yeah, that is and i act like a big shot but i wonder if my kids did things that were more unconventional how accepting i actually would be i think that they're probably within the like within a short continuum of social norms my daughter's really fashion conscious and so i love that she's fashion conscious so it may be that i think that i'm so that i'm so liberal
0: because I'll let her wear a belt that doesn't match her pants. Mm, Look at Mm. you! It's like Mm. people in Portland. We're not racist. I mean, I don't know anybody black, but (laughs) right. Right. It's it's a different ball game Uh when you're up in difference. I guess. Yes. Yeah. That's interesting. So this idea of how your separation process influences your kid, your separating from your kids why why does it matter for does it is should you what do you do with that do you get a handle on it or do you i, I don't know like what do you do with that information i
1: think this is another plug for self awareness i think that the more that you know what your relationship with your parents is like and what your own separation process is like or has been like i think that 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 can be a useful guide. It's when you're not aware of it or you don't know that you end up like sort of reacting or responding to something that's totally unconscious. And then it's not a choice of how you're gonna act. It's it's a, it's a just sort of an unconscious response. And not that we can be aware of every single thing that we're doing, but if you know, for example, that you felt confined by your own mother or you felt restricted in some way, then it's important to know then how you want to behave with your own kids not just the opposite side of the same coin like I didn't like that they were restrictive so therefore I'm going to be overly permissive or something but to know um, that that was your experience and then somehow measure that against who your own kid is so it's like once again in my book I talk a lot about the importance of just being aware knowing when you're anxious knowing when you're When you're sort of responding to something that is very emotional for you and then be able to kind of dissect it intellectually so then you can have more control over the way that you're behaving. Um, Because I think it feels lousy to all of us to just act Mm -hmm. and not know why we're doing something. And I think it feels lousy, lousy. I would say shitty, to kids when you're out of control, when you're just mm-hmm, kind of highly, mm-hmm. highly emotional. So the more in control you can be, not controlled, but in control, like that you feel Mastering like...
0: Mastering your feelings in a way versus just freaking out. Yes, Yeah.
1: exactly. And, um, and all of our buttons get pushed, obviously, when we're raising kids. And I think in different stages of development, different buttons get pushed. But I think that we all have maybe three or four predominant triggers, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Like, And when those buttons are pushed, we're likely to respond in a very emotional, in a highly emotional way that doesn't feel well thought out.
0: Like it doesn't seem appropriate to this. It seems disproportionate yes. maybe. Yeah. I love the word disproportionate. It's a pretty great one. Yes. It's a great it's a one. Great. Yeah. It, it's interesting that you're saying all this because I just, you're my fake cousin uh, for those who have not been on board with this, <laughs> my first cousin is married to Dana's brother. So we like to consider ourselves cousins, but I don't think in any family tree that ever has been created, there's a word for what we are to each other. No,
1: but I call you Cousin Amy. Yeah, yeah. That's how we each Yeah, exactly. Each other.
0: Yeah. So, so I was talking to my real cousin the other day, and she is the daughter of my mom's sister. Mm-hmm. And... My mom and her sister have a really tough relationship. And first of all, I know that neither of them has the tech savvy to hear this ever. So, <laughs> so, so, have so at we're it. good. How <laughs> about it? But I think that they would both admit that there's a lot of baggage between them, and a lot of misunderstanding, and a lot of you know, it just feels intense and funny and weird and the conversation that they're having never seems to be about the real thing Mm -hmm. and when you were talking about that having awareness you know their mother is is dead my grandma Mm -hmm. but it almost seems like they're still competing for being the one that mom approves of the Uh most or you know and they go about it in really different ways but Uh it's kind of this invisible thing that's still out there even though there's nobody listening to the orchestra you know yes
1: but the dynamic is still there they're still playing the it's
0: pretty wild to see it in that way yes
1: and that they're not aware of it like I think that in some way if there could be a way for them to reduce it down to Even knowing or being conscious of when they're talking to each other, I'm still trying to one-up her. I'm still trying to beat her out for mom's affection. I think that that can help mitigate some of the charge that comes with some of the statements that you make to each other. And I think that that's what's helpful to do with our kids. I mean, all of us have unresolved issues. You can't resolve everything. But I think that knowing um, kind of what your specific sensitivities are can then help you be able to be more conscious and not reactive Mm -hmm. to like one is like an intellectual process and one's an emotional process.
0: I know that's not ever going to happen with them. I, <laughs> yeah, that ship has sailed. <laughs> it's out in the middle yeah, of the Atlantic uh... somewhere, <laughs> or the Pacific. They're in the Pacific Northwest, but you know, it's it's interesting. I mean, we're one generation; our kids are a different generation. Mm-hmm. You know what the opportunities are, because it doesn't just form the parent-child thing. It also really informs the sibling relationships too right? Absolutely.
1: You mean because it plays out within the family mm-hmm. and so because you're all connected, no doubt. And I think it happens intergenerationally too. Like I think that my mom and her sister, at least my mom felt competitively with her sister because um, I think her perception was that her sister was favored and I think it would be an objectively widely accepted view. <laughs> and, um, and Delicately put. Yeah, thank, thank you. And I think that I think in some way there has been, there's a competition. I I realized that my brothers and I, I, who I love deeply, but there is an underlying competition. Sometimes it's very explicit even about who mom likes more, who the favorite is. And I think that that's kind of a holdover or interwoven as a result of my mother's experience with her father. Mm. And, um, And I think that sometimes, once again, I can't say that it's, not present, but I know that it influences the way that I interpret certain interactions with my brothers, even that Mm. he's, he's trying to put me down or he's trying to one up me. And I don't know if it's his intention
0: or not. Even if it is true, if they don't have awareness of what, what that's about under underneath, then it's just going to go on over and over and over again. And I guess you, we all only have the power to control and change ourselves, right uh-huh. and so uh-huh. you having that awareness that that's the game you're playing uh-huh. there. You having that aware- I'm playing it, right. Well, no, yeah, but you having an awareness that they don't know that that is the game they're playing means that you have a choice you can either play that game too or you can say i'm not playing i'm not going to get activated by them trying to get one up on me or put me down or look better in front of mom i'm not gonna i'm not playing
1: yes and i don't even know if they actually are i know that that is my experience is that maybe i'm just trying to one-up them and so confessions (laughs) <laughs> but I think that, so some of the time I need to even just be aware of that when I'm talking to them. I mean, there are many times that I talk to them and I don't feel competitively with them. But I do think that that, it plays into my relationship with them. And I do think that that's a byproduct of my mom's relationship with her own sister.
0: Ah, we're complicated. now. so mm.
1: messy, so messy. But anyway, but I do think that the more self-aware that we could be about what our own separation process is and how we're separating emotionally from our own parents, I think that that helps us be able to separate from our kids or do it in a more, I don't know, thoughtful and sensitive way. Like this is just, I was talking to a friend yesterday, who unfortunately, whose daughter is really struggling with a whole host of issues. And I know that that friend has a very intertwined relationship with her own mother. And I've always kind of marveled at how involved they are with each other. And I always wonder why her husband doesn't get more annoyed by it. She talks to her mom a hundred times a day. Wow. And, um, and I think that probably what's happening is that some of that is being repeated with her teenage daughter now. And her teenage daughter is trying to figure out ways to be able to separate from her mom And, um, and unfortunately it's manifesting in like an eating disorder Uh. a pretty significant eating disorder. But I think that there has to be some kind of intergenerational phenomenon that there's like, she's accustomed to my friend who I love, but is very accustomed to these enmeshed relationships, mother, daughter relationships. And so, um, it, I think, on some level, it worked for her and her mother. It doesn't necessarily work for her and her daughter. And and so now it's coming to the surface. And I think that had my friend, I don't know, if she had more self-awareness about it, would that have altered the way that she would approach her own daughter and therefore not cause these problems? I'm sure she's thinking about all of this now. But anyway, but that's- Wow,
0: that's a lot. That's heavy. Yeah,
1: yeah. Sorry, Amy. No, it's uh, okay. I'm going to recover. I'm just
0: going to turn everything into a joke like we comics do. So I'm curious also about this idea. You know, you're talking about the big separation, which is going to college. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I told that story about the party. But with my with my young – we both have 12-year-olds. Yours is a son. Mine is a daughter. Yes. You know, we – there's there are these mini separations yeah. that are so much more back and forthy, back and forthy yes. all yes. the time. Moment to moment. Yeah, literally. Yeah. I mean, I had that last week with with my youngest, where she sent me this text that was like, You're destroying my self-esteem and <laughs> <laughs> way too aware. Um, but <laughs> Because I wouldn't let her go to a friend's house after school because she had to finish her homework and yada, yada. Mm -hmm. And you're ruining my self-esteem and you're making everything worse. And then I get home and she had locked herself out. And so she's standing out in the hall in our (laughs) apartment building and she looks at me and she breaks down into tears and she's like, I'm sorry, I love you. (laughs) (laughs) And it was just like... Like, you know, yeah, I hated the amusement park rides and now here we are. Yes. On, you know, what's the one, the those that jerk you around yes. back uh, and forth yeah. and give you whiplash and turn you upside down. Yes. And, uh, I'm yes. so nauseated. Uh-huh. Me too. Me yeah. too. So what's what's going on there and how do we react? Like, I, I know that when I get super reactive in her anger, like I'm not ruining your self esteem. Mm-hmm. You're ruining your self esteem. <laughs> I don't do that, but you know that that's what you're saying in your head. <laughs> you know, if I were to do that, I know bad mommy choice, bad mommy yes. choice. But yes. you know, how how do we deal with that yo yo?
1: I think that I mean I could tell you what the books say. I can't necessarily tell you how I deal with it at home, or I could tell you how I deal, how I encourage parents in my office to deal with it. But I think that it is. It is such a challenge. And I've heard a bunch of metaphors um, or analogies before about how to think about what your role ought to be. And one of them um, is a swimming pool analogy. If you think of yourself as like the edge of the pool and you consider your child, your preteen or teen, as the swimmer and the water is the is the world around them. And so there are times when they're going to jump into the deep end and maybe even jump in into waters that are are too deep for them and then they need to be able to grab onto the edge of the pool t- for some kind of security and stability. And so if you can maintain the mentality of being a stable, predictable this is making me sick to say. Inanimate. Yeah. Boring. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's Ed, cement. Edge <laughs> of the pool. Gray. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then there are other times where they can, um, where they can, they can, rehearse a little bit or they could play around in the center of the pool and knowing in some way that you are there and that you will be there and available to them and some of the time i think that you and i have even joked about the potted plant which Mm -hmm. was an article in the new york times which may have been lisa demore may have coined that term i'm not totally sure she may have also coined the swimming pool term where um they just want to know that you're around and available, but they don't necessarily want you intruding or they don't necessarily want to be actively engaged with you, but they want to know, like, be aware that you are around. And- wow,
0: that just sounds so fulfilling. Just That's sure. uh, <laughs> right. yeah. a rule. No, uh-huh. I remember reading that and they were talking about the studies that show greater emotional health for adolescents who have... A parent around, or you know, a parent around in those critical hours after school, mm-hmm. having dinner together, and it's such. I mean, it's a it's a tough luxury to be able to carve that time out.
1: Yes, and I think, and also to be able to tolerate kind of this ever changing kind of presentation that they present. That um, from moment to moment, one moment they could be snuggling with you on the couch which feels really good Mm. and want you to just hang out with them or play chess or something so sweet and snuggly. And then two minutes later, could be my, my son said to me the other day, he's like, mom, you are so awkward. And I was like, Oh, and I was, I am kind of awkward. So I was offended. And which I think that they know in some way, what our sensitivities are. They know what, they're so good.
0: They're so good.
1: And so the idea of kind of, being able to be kind of stable and secure for them so that they can navigate these waters and they could be the ones to determine if they feel like being in the shallow end or the deep end or swimming back and forth and that we kind of remain rigid a bit...
0: concrete <laughs> <Yeah>. rectangular <laughs> straight yes not in the sense of our sexualities, yes. but in, in the predictability of the pool. You know, this is not a kidney-shaped pool. Right. Right. Well, this, oh is, no. this, this is, is the mm-hmm. classic rectangle of our youth. Classic, yes. And, you know, I think that that metaphor is so useful as I listen to it because it also gives me a sense of deeper empathy for them because while, to me it sounds a little dull to be the great mm-hmm. concrete edge that mm-hmm. somebody's going to go back and forth from i also understand that water is an unpredictable mm-hmm. medium yes. that can be a delight and it can kill you mm-hmm. you know it's mm-hmm. it's and mm-hmm. that's kind of how adolescence i think feels yes. is that this can be so much fun mm-hmm. and i'm not vulnerable to mm-hmm. anything mm-hmm. i'm invincible yikes this mm-hmm. just got a little too heavy mm-hmm. for me mm-hmm. and you know, it, it just it's a slippery medium, and so it. I think that metaphor. I never thought it. You know, of course, I always thought about myself and how boring it is just to have uh-huh. to encase. Uh-huh. But, but. Water can be scary. I'm yes. gonna be a little more empathetic oh, for their thanks to you. Yes,
1: I yeah. am glad. And also I've heard the other metaphor, which I think is also kind of a beautiful one, is the lighthouse being the lighthouse mm. on the shore. And so you're kind of illuminating the waters so that they don't this is another water metaphor, I guess, but that you're illuminating the water so that they don't necessarily bang into rocks and don't get themselves hurt. But on the other hand, you're on shore and they can come and go and use you as they need you. And I think that that's kind of a nice metaphor as well and and much better than a helicopter.
0: Yeah, definitely. That's following them around and
1: hovering over. Too many like
0: decibels for their delicate eardrums. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yes. too much input. Yeah. Yeah. It's I don't know. It's made me feel like maybe I am trying to act too much like hey, I want to get in the pool too, you know? <laughs> I, I want to do fun stuff, backflip, mom, you know. And and that I I mean, I do think I have some maturity issues with that and that Uh, I want, I mean, this is the dilemma that we're talking about is how do you realize yourself as a full person and you've committed to having kids by allowing them to pop out of you or adopting them or whatever. Yes. And so how do you fulfill that obligation to be the lighthouse, to be the stable edge of the pool, to... Be a plant in the corner that might not get watered as much as mm-hmm. it needs to, and is feeling a little dry. And
1: mm-hmm. I hear you. I think that I think that it's really hard, and I think it asks a lot of us. Like it, it um, projects us into adulthood. Like mm-hmm. I, there's nothing that has made me feel more adult than filling out forms for college applications. Like no, I'm, yes, FAFSA is like the one that the I was money, filling out. Money, mm-hmm. yes and i think that um and i'm realizing like oh if i have a kid who's going to college then i really have to act like a grown up now and obviously i've been their their mother all of this time but it it has They're made still me still there yes
0: yes <laughs> yes yeah i think that that's sorry i interrupted no that yeah. that's okay that's we don't we mind do. interruption right we, we just get more talking done Yes. If you're both doing it at the same <laughs> time more efficient
1: as yeah. you say <laughs> um Yeah, I think that it does ask a lot of us. And I think it's hard too. I think that you and I've talked about this before too, that when you have a teenage daughter, I don't know if it's the same with a teenage son, but at least I've seen with my daughter that there is a sense of, I can, I love going shopping. I love getting my nails done. And so there is, there is a friendly element to it. And I have to remind myself, she has a very similar sense of humor to me. And so there are times that Also, I have trouble kind of reminding myself that I'm, that I'm the mom or that I'm still supposed to be, I don't know if mom means authority, but I don't want to be best friends, but I do, there are friendly elements of this relationship that are
0: evolving. And, and it's so hard too, because for instance, I love you but there's nobody i'd rather be with than my kids. They're so fun. They're so great. Yes. They're so awesome yes. and they you know and they are cuddly and you know it does feel nice to take care of them yes. and you know make some food for them that they're like mom this is so good I know. and you know just stu- know. It, it all yeah. it their successes kind of feel like my successes mm-hmm. but they're not my successes mm-hmm. they're their successes my success is allowing them to find the place of their success. But that's a really fine gradation. <laughs> oh, my God. And I
1: think it's the it's the dilemma of all intimate relationships. I sometimes say to my husband, which he totally rolls his eyes at, but I'm like, don't you think it's weird that we're separate people? Because I feel like such a unit with him a lot of the time, or I project so much of myself and my identity onto him. But sometimes it's weird to me. I mean, there are times that I feel very separate from him. But I think that when you're so connected to someone, and when someone has been literally physically connected to you, Ew. and they, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> our kids, I meant. Oh. oh. <laughs> I was
0: like, you're going there? No, no, no. okay, okay, oh, thank no I, God, I okay, never, okay, 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 I would okay, never go there. Genetically connected. Yes, genetically yes.
1: connected. Yeah. Um, although I do joke with my husband too that we may be distantly connected as well in some shtetl. and oh yeah Easter all year. of us he doesn't think that's funny
0: he thinks that's gross it is but it's also funny <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> and
1: and so I do think then then how do we delineate some kind of boundary when you're extremely close to somebody and they have they are your child that that this whole separation seems to be such a like ebb and flow process and ever-changing and your perceptions of it are so ever-changing it's, it's complicated
0: Ugh. i know i try so hard not to make these passive-aggressive comments with my daughter like oh i hear hunter's a good school it's the college that's five blocks from. Uh, right, right. <laughs> <sighs> so okay so we've talked about a lot of deep stuff let's sum it all up for our listeners, what are the three things to keep in mind as a parent for healthier separation from our kids to let them be the individual people that they need to be? Mm -hmm.
1: I think that the first is that separation is always happening and that it's not a linear process. It progresses, you regress, you... They say rapprochement, you kind of go back and forth and that you rely on your parents for some kind of refueling that can be at unpredictable moments. And so so that's number one, separation is not linear. The second, I think, is that the more aware you can be of your own separation process with your parents, that that self-awareness will help you in your separation process or managing
0: the separation with your own kids. So doing a deep dive into your past can be kind of helpful. That's that. I found that really thought provoking today. I mean, even though we teed it up yesterday, but just the idea that wow, how does that show up in your intimate relationships too? It's like it's, it's big stuff.
1: Yes, it's big stuff, Amy. Okay. And, and that the third, I think, is that, and all of these are interrelated, of course, but that the more stable and predictable and not necessarily rigid and concrete, but the more available, consistently available you can be, the more room kids have to be able to experiment with their own separation process. And so being reliable without necessarily being intrusive and following their lead while also remaining kind of in place, is, is helpful. So to consider yourself a lighthouse or a guardrail or the edge of a swimming pool, I think can be useful metaphors to bear in mind when you're thinking
0: about what position to take in your separation. Right. That your your goal is not to jump in the pool with them or the ocean <laughs> or... Right, right. <laughs> right. Or to stay come... in your corner. Yes, yeah. a little
1: bit. Stay in your corner, but let them know where the corner is. With your goes. arms open. Yes, right.
0: Okay yeah, very useful. I've learned a lot. I know I'm gonna reflect on this a lot uh, over the coming weeks mm-hmm. and figure out how I'm doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. Just kidding, <laughs> maybe kind of. Uh, now we've come to the one of the fun sections of our show, which is called "No, You have to. And it's our recommendations of things to make your life better that we've experienced that in some way have made our lives better or more enjoyable or just fun things. Um, So I'm going to recommend the daylight sky bright light therapy (laughs) lamp. It's a lot of light in there. And that's the point. Um, I know that there are some people listening to this that might feel as the days grow shorter that you get a little depressed, a little bit down, and it's tough. So this is something, and some people are against therapy. Some people are against medication. I'm in favor of all those things. But if you're not, Uh this can be something, you know, Uh And, and sitting with this light in the morning when you wake up for 30 minutes and it simulates sunlight can kind of give you a little energy and and keep your circadian rhythms feeling like, oh, it's late August uh-huh. rather than, you know, January 20th or whatever. And so, I don't know. I, I find it's really nice just to keep me from that sluggish feeling that I get when winter uh-huh. comes. And do you use it? Every- I do use it sometimes. I don't. I rarely use it for the full 30 minutes. Uh-huh. But... You know, I stare into it a little bit. It's pretty blinding. You have to look at it. You can't just have oh. it on in the room. Oh. It's, it's it's a oh. project. I mean, uh-huh. you have to kind of commit to it. But, wow. you know, I think I have this in my family. My grandma moved to Vegas in her 70s or maybe 80s. Really? And I, yeah, because I'm from Portland, Oregon, which uh-huh. is such a, it's rainy there 10 months a year. Yeah. And I remember when she moved to Vegas, she was like, I'm happy for the first time in my life. Huh. Which I think huh. hurt my dad's feelings. Aw. Yeah but he never said so. Anyway, yeah,
1: right. <laughs> oh, that sounds that sounds great. I think that I probably should use that because you know,
0: I'm not a doctor, and so maybe you should either talk to Google or your actual doctor. <laughs> no, I don't I don't know if this can hurt you, but or hurt I don't your think eyes. it can. It I don't can? think it can hurt your eyes. Huh. But I don't know. I'm so, going to do
1: a little research, okay. but I have heard and I know and I have patients who have used similar kinds of lights and have found it to be incredibly useful. So and I think in some way, anytime you focus on anything for 30 minutes that is for self-improvement actually is probably has some kind of, even if it's it's not a placebo effect, I think that it actually probably has some kind of like neurological benefit, which is why my no, no, you have to, is this app that I've been using for meditation, which I can't say that I'm incredibly calm and centered but i have so enjoyed listening to it and it's called sip and om om as in and sip as in sipping tea oh i thought it was wine Okay, Okay. (laughs) that'll relax you too and she has all different kinds of her name is mary mackley i think and she has all different kinds of topics. So it could be anything from self-care to stress to confidence. And it sounds so hokey, but she has all different kinds of visualizations, affirmations, depending on... She has walking meditations. Mm-hmm. She has a very lovely voice. I think that that's probably the most soothing part of it. And I listen to it... I have been listening to her almost every night for, I don't know, the past five months or so. And it's or almost every night, take her on wow. vacation with me. And it's really, I just think that it's a little simple at times, but she has a very lovely voice and she does, she does a lot of progressive relaxation. And it's been the first time that I've been able to do that. Oh, so
0: cool. Yeah, I know. There's a lot of there's a lot of shopping involved in finding that person that speaks to you. Yes. I've had a lot of debates with people. Like I have one friend who needs a quote sexy librarian voice Ooh, for his meditation, uh-huh, uh-huh. and I listen to uh, John Cabot zinn Oh, you know, I, I like love the, him, the yeah. Nevishi Jewish guy. Yeah, he's guy. got the Jewish guy. Like thing I, lo- going. You know, I love, I love like him. Just super serious. Yes. yes. So everybody has their something. Yes. Yeah, Yeah. he reminds me of like a stoned uncle. Yeah, but yeah. He's, you know, he's the child of Howard Zinn who wrote that, I think it's called the popular history or the something history of the United States, which is kind of an alt history that talks about the the untold oppressions commit. Okay, you know, we're going to end on a happy note. (laughs) Uh, We are grateful for you listening. Please let us know what you think in whatever medium you listen to this. And we'll see you next week for Two Moms on the Couch. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.